What's good everyone and welcome to another episode of the Windy City Hoops Podcast, episode 21 to be exact, for Wednesday, February the 26th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Rouse, coming to you from my hometown of Chicago, Illinois, here at the 10616 Productions Studios. As I'm, you guys are hearing from me for the first time in about... 12, 18 hours (laughs) last night I did the post-game report for the Chicago Bulls Oklahoma City Thunder game actually yeah that was uh that was 12 hours yeah (laughs) it was 10 o'clock 10 p.m when I finished the recording last night the Windy City Hoops podcast uh post-game report for the Chicago Bulls Oklahoma City Thunder game see that's that's how much I got going on I lost track of time it's like 18 uh, I couldn't have been 18 but yeah it's only been um it's only been 12 hours since you guys last heard from me when I did the uh, post-game report for the Bulls losing 124 to 122 at the hands of the Oklahoma City Thunder. But to be up to date on all Windy City Hoops podcast content, you can follow the Windy City Hoops podcast Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Windy City Hoops podcast, or just go on Facebook and search at Windy City Hoops podcast you can also follow me on twitter and instagram at king rouse 21 k-i-n-g-r-o-u-s-e 21 remember the windy city hoops podcast available on multiple platforms including apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, overcast stitcher and more among others so wherever you listen to podcasts you can find the windy city hoops podcast uh today's episode Really going to be a going to be a little bit brief, honestly. I mean, I did the Bulls post game report last night, so I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna keep it quick when it comes to the Chicago Bulls. I'm gonna talk about the Windy City Bulls as well. Had a three game losing streak up until early in the morning yesterday when they went to uh, Walker, Michigan to take on the Grand Rapids Drive. I talk about Windy City as of late. Also, the rumor of who the Bulls may be looking for as a general manager that'll be answered in the listeners' question. Who do I think? Who do I think the Bulls should go after, and who would uh, who would I like to hear be the new voice of the Bulls? I'll answer the one listener question that I have this week, and then also um, going to talk about the NBA award tracker since it is the end of February. Talk about who I who would get my vote for the NBA awards, and then also who I think is going to take the awards, and then I'll place my three final three finalists. To this point, there in some of these awards, there likely will be four, but I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pick. I'm gonna have to cut it down to three. But in the meantime, let's start it off talking about our NBA hot topics. And right now, the hottest on the floor topic is the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks last night with a win over the Toronto Raptors solidify their place as the top team in the NBA's Eastern Conference. But the real reason why I'm talking about the Bucks. Nothing to do with their game last night against Toronto was more so with a game that they had nothing to do with because the Milwaukee Bucks at 50-8 and have clinched the first playoff spot in the 2020 NBA playoffs. They clinched that playoff berth on Sunday, February the 23rd. That is the earliest calendar date of a playoff clinching in NBA history. They surpassed the 2017 Golden State Warriors who ended up winning the NBA championship with a record of 67 and 15. They clinched their first they clinched their playoff berth on February the 25th so they so they beat the Warriors record by two days. 
But interesting enough, Milwaukee had nothing to do with them clinching that playoff berth, at least the the on-the-floor issue of them clinching. The Chicago Bulls actually clinched that berth for the Milwaukee Bucks with a 126-117 win over the Washington Wizards, who I'm going to be talking about after I finish talking about the Bucks. Actually, uh, the Bulls beat the Bucks, and they pretty much made it impossible. They made it impossible for the Wizards, who who currently sit at 20 and 36, to enter the enter the top two seeds. Because I mean, obviously, if Milwaukee clinched, that means Washington can't pass them in the standings. So with the 50 and 8 record, the Bucks now have the well, they already had the best record in the league, but now they have clinched a playoff spot. They're going to try to hold on to their number one seed, and they gave themselves a good chance of doing just that with their win last night against the Toronto Raptors. They beat the Raptors out at, uh, I was about to say Air Canada Center, at uh, Scotiabank, at Scotiabank Arena 108-97 in that game last night. That is now four straight wins for Milwaukee after going into the All-Star break with a loss, a 118-111 loss at the hands of the Pacers. They've now beaten They've now beaten. The Detroit Pistons by 20 last Thursday. They beat the Sixers by 21 on Saturday. They beat the Wizards the next night on on Monday. They beat the Wizards the day after the Wizards lost to the Bulls in overtime by three. And then last night beat the Raptors by 11. And last week I had to listen to a question from uh, Luke Stanzik. He asked me, who, do I, who, who do, was I taking to win the East as of last week when the question was asked? And I said at the beginning of the season, my pick was the Philadelphia 76ers. But right now, it's hard to bet. It's hard hard to bet against the Milwaukee Bucks. Just the way, just the way they play as a team. If you watch Milwaukee, you see why they're a 50 and 8 team. You see why they are on pace to win 70 games. And Milwaukee just needs to win 20 games. <laughs> they just need to win 20, 20 more to end up. With a, a 70 win season, they would be the third 70 win team if they could get to that feat. Remember, only the only the 72 and 10 90, 96 Chicago Bulls and the 73 and 9 2016 Golden State Warriors have won 70 games in NBA history. And this Milwaukee team, I I think they could get it done. I mean, with the way they play, I mean, I continue to say it. Giannis Antetokounmpo is like a cheat code for that team. Because even when he's not in the game, just the production they get out of other guys, even when he's on the bench, they don't lose anything in terms of team basketball. They lose their cheat code and having a guy that's pretty much unguardable in Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is, he's still working on his three, and he's likely going to end up winning the MVP again this year But considering the season Milwaukee is having. I mean, they're 50-8, and eight, and you do the math, that's 58 games. There's 82 in the season, so they only got 24 games remaining. So can Milwaukee go twenty and four in these last in these last um in these last games of the season, these last twenty four games of the season? I think there's a legit chance they could do it. I mean, this is a team that has already won eighteen straight at one point this year. And then I'm looking at their schedule. They got Oklahoma City up next on Friday. They take on the Charlotte Hornets, who's been struggling on Sunday. They're gonna run in this they're gonna run into some difficulty though once they get past Charlotte, and arguably you could say they're getting into some difficulty on Friday against Oklahoma City, but they're going to have to take on Miami, Indiana, the Lakers. They'll play Phoenix on Sunday, March the 8th, and then they'll take on the Nuggets and the Celtics. So they're going to play a number of playoff teams 
So it so it, that may be the stretch where they could end up dropping four or five or five or six or something like that. But I think still it's it's very possible for this team because Milwaukee has withstood they've withstood the test from all of the teams in the in the NBA this season. But the question is, can they can they continue to win at a historic pace? And also, at what point is there a point where the Bucks say, you know what, we just want to rest, we just want to rest and get ready for the playoffs? So they they are on pace. They do have a chance to get seventy. So there, there's two sides of the ledger. They have the chance to do it if you watch them play, but then you also got to think, okay, well, they're also going to run into some playoff teams. They also may start resting people at the end of the season. So it's going to be fun. for Personally, I think it's going to be fun to watch Milwaukee see if they try to go for the 70-win mark. But realistically, the more I look at the schedule, it's looking like they're probably going to rest, start resting guys and get ready for a playoff run. This is a Milwaukee team that had a tough – a tough, heartbreaking loss in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Had a 2-0 series lead against the Toronto Raptors and then ended up losing. So I think Milwaukee's focus is more so on winning an NBA championship than it is on trying to win 70 games and then possibly get into the playoffs with that with that bullseye on their back, knowing that whoever they end up meeting gonna be going to be looking to knock them out. And uh, Looking at who they who they could end up playing right now, they're going to end up facing the Hornet. Excuse me, the, uh, the Orlando Magic in the uh, first round of the playoffs. The Magic right now have a uh, four and a half lead, four and a half game lead over the Washington Wizards for the eighth and final spot in the East. I mean, anybody versus Milwaukee, I'm thinking Milwaukee's giving them the broom tr- the broom treatment in that first round. The real test for my for Milwaukee could end up being again Toronto. And Toronto has been a shocking team to me. I thought they'd be down in that mosh pit of teams battling for six through six through eight. But Toronto's still playing like a championship team. But, however, if they end up meeting Milwaukee again this year in the conference finals, my money's on Milwaukee. I just feel like Toronto last year had huge performances out of Kawhi Leonard. And that's what really turned the tide for them as they were able to eliminate the Bucks. So Milwaukee, 50-8. and eight. 24 games left in the season. Can they go 20-4? and four? Still remains to be seen. We'll find out in this last month of the NBA season. Uh, I mentioned the Bucks beat the Washington Wizards on Monday in overtime, 137-134. They'll take on the Wizards again on March the 21st and on March the 27th. But the real story with the Washington Wizards as of late has been the performances of Bradley Beal and honestly Bradley Beal I really feel I, I personally I feel for Bradley Beal I mean he's averaging 30 points this season six assists four rebounds in 49 games played for the Washington Wizards a Wizards team that is 20 and 36 so he's played in 49 of their 56 so he's only missed seven games this season for the Wizards and it's just really tough to see Bradley Beal go out there and put out the numbers that he's re- that he's put up as of late. He's one of the top scorers in the league. He's put up back-to-back performances of 53 in a loss to the Bulls, which in the game they actually clinched the playoff berth for the Bucks, and then 55 against the Bucks themselves in an overtime loss. Washington has lost their last three games, even lost to uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers on Friday in a game where Bradley Beal had 26. So out of the All-Star break, Bradley Beal, it's just on an absolute tear. But unfortunately for him, the rest of the Wizards 
just have not matched his level of his his level on the floor and the Wizards still miraculously are in the hunt for that eighth spot in the playoffs. But Bradley Beal, I think he's just had a bad rap this season. I mean, this guy's averaging 44 and a half, 44.6 to be exact, in the last three games out of the All-Star break. And it's really starting it's starting to really look like what I see with Zach Levine on a nightly basis with the Bulls. Like 41 last night. Don't get me wrong, Kobe White helped him. He had 35. But it looked like what I was seeing with Zach Levine early in the year where he's putting up these 30s and 40s and the Bulls are still losing. And it's, it's looking like that for Bradley Beal. And one common denominator for both Zach Levine and Bradley Beal is that both of their teams are one of the most injured teams in the NBA. Like when I looked at the when I looked at the man games loss list, I mean the Wizards are right near the top. The Wizards, I believe, were our top their top five in the mix with the uh, Portland Trailblazers, the Chicago Bulls, who I'm going to talk about later, the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are the most injured team in the league. According to the Man Games Lost NBA Twitter page, as of last night, so prior to tip-off last night, here were the most, here are the teams with the most Man Games Lost, top five. Golden State Warriors first at 274. The Washington Wizards at 257. The Detroit Pistons at 225. The Portland Trailblazers at 210, and the Chicago Bulls at 194. That's according to the Man Games Lost NBA page on Twitter. So of those teams, Wizards were second in the league. So they've they've had more games missed only behind only the Golden State Warriors at 257 going into last night's game, and they didn't play. So that still stands for the Golden State for the for the uh, Washington Wizards. And when you when you think about it, in all honesty, when I when I look at the Washington Wizards team, think about a lot of the guys that they start, like Bradley Beal, Davis Berton. Those are those are NBA players, but they they play a lot of G League level players. Not to say that they're not NBA level players, but they're guys that have had more G League experience coming into this season than they did NBA, like Isak Bongo, who was on the South Bay Lakers a season ago. They had Troy Brown, who had a lot of time with the uh, Capital City Go-Go. Isaiah Thomas, who is not a former G League player, who is not a former G League player, he's a former NBA MVP candidate. They had him in the early part of the year, but he too was missing games. The Wizards have just been so depleted by injury, mainly because obviously John Wall hasn't been able to play this year. And Bradley Beal has still had an impressive season. I mean, Bradley Beal at one point was second in the league in scoring behind only James Harden. He's still top five in the league right now. Averaging 30 points a game. And I just think Bradley Beal, because the Wizards have struggled so much, I just think, I just I just have a feeling that he's been disrespected. You know, <laughs> like, and this is me really pretty much going back to the, um, to the All-Star game, really. Bradley Beal, second in the league in scoring right now, 30.1. And I just thought that he was the biggest snub of the All-Star game this season. I mean, Devin Booker. Devin Booker got in, but even if it would have been Beal and Booker, I still would have rolled. I probably still would have rolled with Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal has just done so much for a team that is struggling. And when you look at Washington, twenty and thirty-six, and they're four and a half games back of Orlando for the AFC. They're playing better than teams like Chicago, Charlotte, and Detroit. And especially for me, Detroit stands out. Because I thought Detroit would be a top five team. Now, of course, Detroit has since traded away and bought out a lot of the pieces. Like they no longer have the Morris twin. 
they don't have Andre Drummond anymore. They let go of Reggie Jackson, and now he's he's supposedly going to be headed west, and or he is headed west, and the uh, Markeith is headed west as well. And then Andre Drummond is now Cleveland Cavalier. So it's like actually both Morris twins went west from uh, New York and Detroit. So Detroit was a team I thought could have been top five had they pretty much not succumbed to so much injury. And as you heard, Detroit's one of the teams that's in that top five man games loss. Charlotte has been a surprise, but Charlotte's been hit by reality a little bit more as of late. And then the Bulls were a team expected to make a leap this year, but they haven't been able to do that either. And the Washington Wizards, a team with injuries right there in the hunt, right there in the thick of things, ninth in the East, still have a shot at getting that eighth seed. I don't know if you really want to do that at this point because, you, like I said, you're probably going to run into the Milwaukee Bucks. But Bradley Beal has been magnificent this season. And personally, I've looked at my I've tracked, like I said, I've been tracking my All NBA award all year. I've got Bradley Beal as an All NBA second teamer. I have Bradley Beal currently as All NBA second team. If I had to choose, he would be on second team with Damian Lillard. I put him over Russell Westbrook and Trey Young. Because if you if you if you're gonna talk winning here, if you're gonna talk a combination of individual performance in winning then I'm going to go with Bradley Beal over Trey Young because Washington is in the playoff hunt. I know some will say, what about Russell Westbrook, who I have in the, on the third team with uh, Trey Young? I just feel like you got James Harden first. If you put Russell Westbrook third, it sort of balances out, personally. And I can't, I can't, put, I can't take Damian Lillard off the of second team, so I'm not, I'm not going to take him off of that. You can go with Trey Young for second team, but I, I would prefer Bradley Beal. So I think Bradley Beal is, a, is an all-NBA all NBA candidate. Personally, he's my he's on my NBA second team, and he's just had an amazing season for the Washington for the Washington Wizards. Just unfortunately for the Wizards, they've been bitten so badly by the injury bug. Second most, second most man games missed according to the Man Games Lost NBA page at Man Games Lost NBA on Twitter. Well, here's a team that got some good injury news. The Golden State Warriors got some good injury news. We talked about the Wizards being the most, the, the second most, having the second most man games lost in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors are first, and it looks like they will be returning Steph Curry. And, I mean, this thing is just tying itself together. Steph Curry. So we go from talking about the Wizards, who were second most, had the second most man games lost, to talking about the Warriors, who have the most man games lost. And then yesterday it was reported by Shem Sharanya that Steph Curry is expected to return on Sunday on March the 1st against the Washington Wizards. So this thing just continues to tie itself together. And uh, Steph Curry this year has only played in four games. The last game he played was on uh, October the 30th against the Phoenix Suns. He's been out all season with a hand injury. And for uh, Curry, this this is actually going to be good for the Warriors to, get, to try to get him back. Now, personally, I thought he was going to sit out the rest of the year. I didn't really see any reason for him to come back. But when, when you watch all these videos of Steph Curry, he is itching. He's just itching to return. I mean, all these videos of him shooting around on social media before games and doing his pregame warm-ups, him dunking in pregame, like in the pregame shoot-arounds, he's just itching to come back. And I'm sure the, Wiz the, the Warriors think not a second sooner. I mean, the Warriors in relatively a lost season – in a, in a lost season here at 12 and 46 on the season. Uh they've been there 11 and 43 without Steph Curry. Uh they traded D'Angelo Russell to the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves 
for Andrew Wiggins. And honestly, I think this really affects the Warriors because I'm expecting the Warriors to be in the hunt next year. I expected the Warriors to be in the hunt this year, even without Klay Thompson. I thought the combo backcourt of Curry and D'Angelo Russell, and at the time they had Willie Cauley-Stein, I thought that would have been enough to at least have them in the playoff hunt. I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies are under 500. They're 28 and 29. I think Steph Curry could have got the Warriors at least 28 to get to that to get to that eighth eighth spot in the West. And then if they still would have had some of those guys on the team that they ended up letting go, like Russell, who they traded to Minnesota, and Willie Cauley-Stein, they still would have had a pretty solid team to at least make a run at being in that top eight in the West. But what I think this does if with Curry coming back as opposed to sitting out is this gives him a chance to get on the floor and get his get, get his game legs back, get back into the field of things where – he doesn't have to worry about all off have to worry about the the storyline all off season. Will he have his game legs? And also, it allows him to get out there and get get some chemistry with guys like Eric Pascal, get some chemistry with Andrew Wiggins, who is under contract for next year with the Golden State Warriors. Get out there and get a feel of how to play with those guys on his team. The Warriors have since pretty much gutted their roster. I already mentioned Russell and Willie Cauley Stein, but they also traded a. Uh, Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks to Philadelphia, so Curry's got to get out there and get a, get into a rhythm with some of these younger guys like Eric, like once again like Eric Pascal, like Jordan Poole. I'm sure he's familiar with Damian Lee, but they've got to get into a rhythm and try to gear up to make a run next season when Klay Thompson returns and they're at full strength. Now the Warriors will have to probably make some moves in the offseason, try to get some help in that front court. You know, to pretty much replace the loss of a guy like a Willie Cauley-Stein. But with Steph Curry being back on the floor, I mean, I don't see how it could be anything but positive for the Warriors, of course, unless, unless of course, he gets hurt again. But I don't see how it couldn't do anything but help the Warriors in terms of, like, trying to get team chemistry and learning how to play with one another. Now Andrew Wiggins also now has a teammate where, much like in Minnesota, he has a teammate that he can play off of, except now I think playing with Steph Curry benefits him a little bit more because teams will have to key on Steph Curry with his shooting ability, and now you can free up Andrew Wiggins much the same as how I think they've always done for Klay Thompson. You, you're so worried about Steph Curry that Klay Thompson is getting one-on-one -on -one coverage, and he's knocking down open shots. And then imagine when Klay Thompson comes back next year, and now you got to worry about those two shooting the ball, Curry and Klay, that is. Now, Andrew Wiggins is getting freed up for a lot of runs to the rim. He's, he has the ability to knock down those mid-range jumpers, even though it's supposedly a bad shot. I say, hey, if it's a good look, take it. <laughs> but so, you know, that's just me personally. And now if you put Andrew Wiggins with that team, I think now you give them another three. He's not the level of Kevin Durant, but you give them another three that this season has been a quality player in Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins, I thought, was a, a potential – Western Conference All-Star candidate this year. He he was one of the guys I listed on my snubbed list. He's averaged 22 points, five rebounds, and three assists. His second best season statistically in terms of scoring, but all around his best season. Five assists, that's the best he's averaged in his career. Th excuse me, five rebounds, best he's averaged, three and a half assists, 3.6 to be exact. His best assist totals, and then his second best scoring season. So Andrew Wiggins having what I think is his best all-around season. And now imagine him coming in next year with the Golden State Warriors at age 25. He's got 
He's got Klay Thompson and he's got um he's got Klay Thompson, he's got Steph Curry back in the rotation. I think that could work 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 wonders for Andrew Wiggins in Golden State as they try to at least get back into the hunt in the West and then of course try to reclaim their throne, which also wouldn't be surprised to see the Warriors try to make some offseason moves as well, especially to get some more front court pieces and try to put themselves you know, back in the hunt so they can match up with everybody in the West because without Kevin Durant, Warriors no longer are the they no longer have the the quote cheat code like I talk about with Giannis Antetokounmpo. They this is a team that can be beaten inside, so they're gonna need some inside presence moving forward. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the market for for a new big man either in the draft or in free agency. Let's bring it back home here for the. Windy City Hoops podcast. Remember, this is episode 21 of the Windy City Hoops podcast here for Wednesday, February the 26th, 2020. We're going to bring it home now talking about the Windy City teams. First, the Windy City Bulls. The Windy City Bulls coming coming off of a three-game win streak where they had defeated the Erie Bayhawks last Thursday, 103-93. They defeated the Northern Arizona Suns, the Phoenix Suns affiliate, on Saturday, 109.95, and then on Sunday, completed a sweep of a homestand with a 117-110 victory over the Lakeland Magic, who was the team directly ahead of them for the sixth and final playoff spot in the NBA G League's Eastern Conference. Unfortunately for Windy City, it feels like all good things must come to an end, and all good things came to an end for them yesterday early in the morning with a 116-83 loss up in Walker, Michigan. At the hands of the Grand Rapids Drive, the affiliate of the Detroit Pistons. Grand Rapids has just owned Windy City this season. They've won all three games against the Bulls this season. And I want to say they've actually won all three by double digits. I know they won the first one by 24 when they met at the end of January. And the exact score is starting to, for some reason, just escaped my mind. Yeah, they did. They won by 13. They won by 13 against the uh, Bulls when they met back on February the 8th. So double-digit losses in every game against the Grand Rapids Drive, including yesterday's 33-point loss. So 33, 24, and 13 have been the losing margins for the Bulls against Grand Rapids this season. So that loss puts the Bulls at the Windy City Bulls at 15 and 22 on the season. They currently sit four and a half games back of the Delaware Bluecoats the affiliate of the Philadelphia 76ers for the sixth and final playoff spot in the NBA G League's Eastern Conference playoff hunt. And when you look at the Windy City schedule coming up, they take on the worst team in the league, or one of the, one of the worst teams in the league, the Greensboro Swarm, the Charlotte Hornets affiliate, who is 8-30. The Northern Arizona Suns are on par with them. Northern Arizona is 8-29. They have not played. They have not played their 38th game yet to – to really, to really let us know if they are the if Greensboro is the worst team or if Northern Arizona is the worst team in the G League. But also coming up for Windy City is they will take on the Delaware Bluecoats on Saturday the 29th. And so another chance for Windy City. They've got two games that really can help them. They take on Greensboro, who has one of the worst records in the league. You could say tied because I think they got like a half-game lead for the worst record on Northern Arizona. And then the uh, Delaware Bluecoats, who are 19 and 17, and who Windy City 
has already defeated this season, beat them 114-103 back on February the 5th. And then Windy City after that will return home next Wednesday. So likely no Windy City Hoops podcast episode 22 early next Wednesday. Likely it'll be late episode 22 because they're going to take on the Raptors 905 at 11 a.m. And I'll be in attendance for that one for the Education Day game at the Sears Center Arena. But, yes, Windy City lost yesterday, but it wasn't. It hasn't been all bad. I mean, the Bulls had a huge run. They had won three straight and really amazing performances in all in, in two of the three games. I mean, they beat Lakeland, but they really had to rally. They had to come back from 19 points to beat the Lakeland Magic in that game on Sunday. But the game last Thursday against Erie, the, the, the other Education Day game, the 103-93 win, a high-energy performance from the Bulls in that ball game, and also got a career high out of Adam Makoka, the two-way player who's been getting some minutes with Chicago, played last night, had a three-pointer in that game against the Thunder. And uh, Makoka had a career-high 26 points, five rebounds. He had five rebounds and three assists to go with that career-high 26 points. Milton Doyle provided the Bulls with 22 points, seven assists, and seven rebounds. And then Justin Simon, with 17 points, 5 assists, and 5 rebounds in the game as well. And then Jerron Blossom game, who the Bulls acquired near the end of January or maybe early February. I, I'm, once again, the exact date starting to escape my, escape my mind here. He had 16 points and 12 rebounds. Just a total team effort in that ball game from the Bulls. Really got after the Erie Bayhawks to get the win. They won by 10, 103-93. And the Erie thing to me, no pun intended, was that uh, – the Bulls also, the Bulls won that game 103-93. That was the same day where the Chicago Bulls lost to the Hornets, the Charlotte Hornets 103-93 later that night. So the same day, the fi- same final score for both Chicago and Windy City, except Windy City won and Chicago ended up on the losing end. Uh, the Bulls got a good performance out of their veteran Farrakhan Hall, who statistically doesn't really look all like, like he did that much, but he really did a good job of providing high energy. had eight rebounds. For the Bulls in that game, six points and four assists. I remember in the pregame, I was talking with my colleague Ryan Fahey. I was telling him about some of my stories from uh, All Star Weekend Media Day. How Brandon Ingram was talking about uh, New Orleans Pelicans two way player Zylon Cheatham, how he was one of the funniest guys on the team. And uh, Farrakhan overheard me telling Fahey that, and he was like, I'm going to shut that down today. And then, <laughs> so, he, so I think he, he had a little added motivation to go out there and defend Zylon Cheatham because also Windy City had lost the two previous meetings of the season against Erie in games that they should have had won. They let five-point leads slip late in both games. They let a five-point lead slip with a minute left the first time, and then they let a five-point lead slip with 30 seconds left in overtime in the last game before the All-Star break. Uh, for Erie, Zylon Cheatham had 20 points, 15 rebounds, and five assists. So Zylon still had a pretty good scoring game statistically, but he, he had to work even though he did go 9-15 of from the field. The Bulls really bodied him up but the real story for the Bulls defensively in this game was the play they had against Josh Gray Josh Gray in that game only had five points on two of 11 shooting why is that important because Josh Gray is the fifth leading scorer or he was the fifth leading scorer in the G League when that game took place he had average he was averaging 23 points and Windy City defensively got after it held him to only five to get the win last Thursday and it was we were just getting started the positivity was just getting started for Windy City because on Saturday they took on the Northern Arizona Suns and they defeated the Suns 109-95, a new 
career high for Trey Darius McCallum, who is a former DePaul product. But also last week he was a guy he was the guy that I said if I had to pick a most improved Windy City Bull from last season to this season, it would be Trey Darius McCallum. And Trey Darius proved me right for one night at least. He had twenty six points. <laughs> he tied his career high, which he set back on December the first, twenty eighteen. Now here's the interesting thing about that. Now listen to that. Now now he set that first career high with 26 points on December the 1st, 2018. And then he tied that career high on Saturday. Saturday, as you know, was the big boxing fight. Or for those of you that follow boxing, that was the big boxing fight. The, the uh, Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder rematch. The, the first time he set the career high was December 1st, 2018. That was the same night of the first Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury fight. So I don't know what it is about the stars aligning. For Trey Darius McCallum on Wilder Fury fight, sounds like they should fight every night so he can have set career highs. He did set a new career high in terms of uh, three-pointers made. He had eight threes in the ballgame, eight of 15 from deep, 26 points tied a career high, and then the Bulls tied a franchise record, 23 made three-pointers in that game against the Northern Arizona Suns, tying the record that they set last March, March the 1st, actually, against the team they would end up playing on Sunday, the, the uh, Lakeland Magic, so... Windy City, a huge performance over the weekend at home. Really took care of home court. Had three players with 20 or more. Simi Shitu had 24 points and 11 rebounds. The big man for Windy City. Milton Doyle had 21 points, six rebounds, and five assists. And also he made seven threes as the Bulls went on to beat the Northern Arizona Suns in that game on Saturday on Saturday a 23 of 47 shooting game from three point land 48% for Windy City and then the next day it didn't look like it carried over as the Bulls got down by 19 early against the Lakeland Magic but they were led again by another tandem of players it was Justin Simon who set a career high he had 24 in the game Justin Simon formerly of Arizona his freshman year and St. John's is where he finished his college career he made sure that we got that right at the Sears Center, and he was saying they always introduce him as from Arizona. He said, no, I'm from St. John's. Arizona was my first school. He wants the most recent schools. So Justin Simon out of St. John's with a career-high 24 points, and he's really been he's really been a fun player to watch on that Windy City team, along with Milton Doyle. They sort of play alike because they both can ball handle. Milton may be a better shooter, but just Justin's intensity on the defensive end, he's top five in the G League in steals, averaging two steals a game. Uh, his ability to get up high and block shots, and he's able to knock and uh, knock down threes. He gives you some highlight reel dunks from time to time. Really, really happy to see him get a career night. 24 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. And just to underscore how good he is on defense, 3 steals and 2 blocks. And this is a guy that's a 6'5 wing for Windy City, and he was, a, he was someone that I was happy to watch with the Bulls in summer league. He was, he was really going out there going with that athleticism, his long wingspan, his ability to defend, definitely something worth worth watching for this Windy City team. And he was also helped by Jerron Blossom game. Jerron Blossom game had an interesting night, or actually an interesting two days. against <laughs> First against Northern Arizona, he went 36 minutes without a basket in that game against Northern Arizona. He, had, he played 37 minutes in the game. He had five points, nine assists, and 11 rebounds. He shot one for 13 from the field against Northern Arizona, but he found other ways to contribute, which is something 
that I talk about often. Guys find a way to contribute even in games where their offense isn't going the way they want, when their shot isn't dropping. Nine assists and 11 rebounds. He was flirting with a double-double without points. And if he could have been able to get his points going, would have had it and possibly could have had a triple-double. How does Jerron Blossom again come back from a 1-for-13 performance from the field? He comes back from that with 24 points, 12 rebounds on 6-of-16 shooting. He was perfect at the line, 6-of-6, six six, and 2-for-7 two, two from 3. I had a chance to do the post-game interview with Jerron Blossom. I need to start stealing some of those clips so I can let you guys hear them firsthand. But you can find it on uh, SportstownChicago.com in the Windy City Bulls game archives. And Jerron said, hey, man, my shot wasn't dropping. I was, I was just trying to show off my versatility, which is something that I said that he has. When he came to Windy City, he, his ability to play inside, his ability to score with his back to the basket, he's working on knocking down his outside shot. He can put the ball on the floor and score. He can defend three positions. And Jerron Blossom game really showed off his versatility over the weekend as the Bulls ended up coming up with three home wins. And then, of course, Thomas Wilder came off the bench. Wilder had missed some time early in the year with an ankle injury. Wilder had 14 points and eight assists in the game against Lakeland on Sunday. Went four for six from the field, including two for three from three-point land, including one three were on the broadcast. I thought he missed his short, and he cashed it all net. So, <laughs> Windy City was rolling at home over the weekend and the thing that really stood out to me with Windy City over the weekend was their ability to find new heroes. Like, it was a new guy every night. It was literally, it was literally a new tandem of players every single night. It was, Justin, it was Justin Simon and Jerron Blossom game on Sunday. Add it, and then you add Thomas Wilder. On Saturday, it was Tradarius McCallum and Semi Shitu along with Milton Doyle. On, on Thursday, it was Milton Doyle and Adam Makoka. Like, the Bulls just continued to find find new heroes every night and for Windy City moving forward that's a great sign because you've got all of these guys contributing they're finally starting to get it together it's it's going to be a, a, a rough push for them trying to get to the playoffs in the NBA G League but at the same time the G League is also about development development and a lot of these guys are proving hey I could be valuable like when you talk about someone like Milton Doyle who's who's his ability to shoot the ball literally just walks into his threes almost like like you would see out of Zach Levine or like out of a out of a Steph Curry. He literally just walks into his three-pointers and he knocks them down. Justin Simon, defensively, just an irritant, a player that can give you everything you need on defense and is athletic on the offensive end. He can find ways to get his shot. Still working on his three-point shooting. Has a bit of a funny, a funny jump shot, but he can knock it down. You got to knock it down with some consistency at the next level, but his defense will get him in the door and then he can work on his offense moving forward. Semi Shitu, a big man, more of a traditional back-to-basket big man, got ejected in the game. On, got ejected on two technical fouls in the game on Sunday against Lakeland, and literally got ejected in the middle of the play. Like there's somebody who I remember. I think it was Isaac Humphreys was backing him down for Lakeland, and then he he's and I think Semi thought he traveled, and Semi said that's a travel. And right on the drop, right on as soon as he said it, the officials hit him with that second technical, and he got sent off the floor. But Simi still needs to work on putting the ball on the floor. But one thing that he does very well, his ability to jump the passing lane. It's a very underrated ability. I think Simi has had a steal and a dunk in the last four games for Windy City. Like just jumping the passing lane and reading the passes like a guard. That's something that you see more out of point guards. That's something that Steph Curry is very good at. And Simi Shitu, as a big man, a guy that's 6'10", 
usually playing in the pivot, playing in the paint, is jumping out nearly <laughs> jumping out 25 feet away from the rim, getting steals and breakaway dunks. And that's a very underrated part of his game. Trey Darius McCallum, who I think, like I said, I think is the most improved returner of the Windy City Bulls with his ability now to try to get to the basket. He even said himself, hey, I got I to gotta start knocking him down, but he's really been shooting the ball well. He's having the best stretch of his career. Going into the game against Grand Rapids yesterday, was averaging what thirteen or excuse me, averaging fourteen points in the la in the last uh, eight games. So Tradarius McCallum has been on a roll, and that just really speaks to what Damian Cotter is doing. He's really doing a great job of developing these guys. Of course, they would love to see more wins and possibly make a run for the NBA G League playoffs. But sometimes, sometimes development, especially in the G League, is more about the development of the players than it is about winning championships, although at the same time winning the NBA G League championship would speak volumes. It would speak volumes to the system. It would speak volumes to the development. It it speaks volumes to the feeder system that this team has as they try to provide the talent for the next level for the NBA team. And honestly, considering all of the injuries, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these guys get 10 days with Chicago like a Milton Doyle, a Justin Simon. More so the wing guys than maybe the bigs, but hey, even she too, even Simi she too might get a look considering how shorthanded the Bulls were in the front court last night. Only had Gafford and Felicio, and Gafford was in foul trouble most of the game. So wouldn't be surprised to see some of these guys get some looks and end up spending more time with the Chicago Bulls near the end of the year, get some of those late season 10 days like we saw last year with Walt Lemon Jr. and like we saw with Jakar Sampson. And speaking of the Chicago Bulls, Bulls, as I mentioned, had a loss last night at the hands of the Oklahoma City Thunder, 124-122. I did the post-game report on that game last night. Came down to the last shot. Zach Levine shooting over Chris Paul, shot it off the glass, and the Thunder ended up winning. But it was a game where the Bulls did rally from down 24 to make it interesting. But the three-headed monster of Oklahoma City, just a little too much despite the fact that the Bulls got 41 out of Zach Levine and 35 out of Kobe White. Bulls ended up with their third loss since the All-Star break. They lost to the Charlotte Hornets 103-93 last Thursday, as I mentioned earlier. They lost to the Phoenix Suns 102-94 on Saturday, and then they did beat the Wizards 126-117 on Sunday. And then, of course, last night, they lost to the Thunder. But the big story for the Bulls as of late well, the two big stories, one has been Kobe White. Kobe White with back-to-back 33-point performances against Phoenix and Washington over the weekend, and then he added to it with a new career high, 35 points in the game last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. He is the first rookie in NBA history to have three straight games of five three-pointers or more made in his rookie season, and also he was the first Bulls since Michael Jordan, the first Bulls rookie since Michael Jordan, to have three straight games of 33 points or more with the performances he's had the last three days. And I talked about it last night on the post-game report, how I'm really, I'm really pleased with what I'm seeing out of Kobe White. Like Kobe has really shot the ball well. For the Bulls, and that was something that early on I thought was a problem because I felt like he was becoming more of a spot-up shooter. But with all of the injuries now, 
The Bulls are starting to trust Kobe with the ball. And he's becoming more assertive. And that's exactly what you want to see out of a rookie that you drafted in the top ten. Because ideally, this guy's going to be your starting point guard moving forward. And you get him out there with Zach Levine, and Zach Levine had 41, Kobe had 35. Now you're giving Kobe, now you're putting Kobe in that number two score role, at least until Lowry comes back. And that's something that the Bulls have been missing all season long. Because even when Lowry was in the lineup, he was having those inconsistent nights. He'll give you 33, and then the next game he'll give you maybe nine shots. He had 33 points one game, then the next game he may have, the next game he may have nine shots in the entire ball game. Now, if you get Kobe going at a consistent rate, now you have a starting backcourt that if they can can do what they did last night, can give you 76. <laughs> you can get 76 out of the starting backcourt, and then when you return the actual starters from the front court, when you start returning Lowry Marketing, when you start returning Otto Porter and Chandler Hutchinson and Wendell Carter, you have your, your better front court players out there. Now, Sadoransky... If you move him to the bench in 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 place of Kobe White starting, I don't really think that that's a bad move because I think Sadoransky can provide the Bulls a spark. At some point, Jim Boylan is going to have to start Kobe White because that's what you drafted him for. You drafted him to be the starting point guard for this team moving forward. It's just a matter of time of when Jim Boylan will do it or if he'll do it this season. But I think, honestly... With the Bulls trying to trying to hang on, Kobe's got the high hand. Maybe time to start give him some starts, get him out there, let him get his feet wet, let him let him get a taste of the starting lineup with Zach Levine. Kobe's really been playing well. I mean, there were some plays last night where I saw him out there on the floor with Shaq Harrison. He's calling for the ball. He's like, "Hit me! I'm wide open." Like you like to see that out of a out of a kid that you drafted early that at the number seven pick in the NBA draft and his shooting ability. Has just been amazing as of late for the Bulls. And just he's just been on fire. And you just want to see it continue to rise. He does still have some things that he has to work on. Like he has to find his balance of being a scorer and a point guard. He did have a few possessions last night where he took some questionable shots. Like he, he did go at Steven Adams a few times. He did do it successfully a few times. But then he also has some possessions where he, he, he did a little too much dribbling and a few too many spin moves as opposed to trying to hit a teammate and letting them score, he was looking for his own shot. So if that that's something that Kobe's going to have to work on moving forward as he tries to um as he tries to find that balance of becoming the starting point guard and also a guy that can get his own shot because if he he falls into that trap of just looking for his own shot, he becomes what he becomes the worst parts of what people thought of Chris Dunn. The fact that Chris Dunn, yeah, he can score, but Sometimes he's looking for his own shot a little too much, which is the problem with Chris Dunn the last few seasons. Even though Chris Dunn this year has had a good year for the Bulls, offensively, that became a problem because it was like you're taking the ball out of some of the better offensive weapons on the team, and you, and then you're getting possessions late in games where you're not even getting a pass. You got you got Chris looking for his own shot, trying to save the day, playing hero ball, and then it cost the Bulls the game. So Kobe has to find that balance of being the starting point of being the starting point guard looking to set others up and then knowing when to find his own shot and when to get into a rhythm. The other big stories for the Bulls as of late. I'm going to talk about the Bulls GM search in a minute 
when I get to my listeners' questions. But also the other issue with the Bulls has been the Jim Boylan timeout thing with Zach Levine. Apparently Zach Levine was upset with Jim Boylan calling a timeout late against the Phoenix Suns. And honestly, I'm with Zach Levine on this one. I, I don't get the timeout thing. I know Jim Boylan did that in the game they won against Minnesota. And it's like, it's just unnecessary. Just let the clock run out, man. Like, come on. <laughs> like, just just let the game in, man. It's just some of these things, things like that have, have been what have made the Bulls a laughing stock in the league this season from a national standpoint. Like, while most of the national stories on the Bulls have been about, well, well, they're looking for a new GM or the fire guard packs chance during All-Star Weekend. Just, just some of these minor things that don't, that don't need to be issues, have been issues. But when it comes to the timeouts, I'm with Zach Levine on this one. This is just Jim Boylan. It feels like it's just Jim Boylan using his timeouts for the sake of using his timeouts. So he, I can't take it with me, so I'm burning him here. And it's like, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense sometimes. So I'm with Zach Levine on that. But at the end of the day, this is, this, some of this stuff is just, it's just unnecessary. Just let the game in. We're down, you're down eight. Just let the game go. Like, you know, or in the game against Minnesota where they were winning. Like, why, man? Don't you call the timeout just the inbound? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> just let it. Just some of these things don't make sense. They, like, it's just unnecessary. It's like you're putting unnecessary energy. You're giving too much attention to something that doesn't deserve the energy. Like, put, put it more into, put the energy more towards, like, things that could help the team. Like, fixing the rotations, uh, fix, figuring out the minutes. Helping Daniel Gaffer stay out of foul trouble, you know, try to try to find ways to put him in positions to help him out of foul trouble. Figure, come up with combinations that can benefit all of the players, like you've done that, like he has done as of late, by letting Kobe have the ball more. You know, just try to find more things that can benefit the team moving forward. This timeout situation has been an issue for the Bulls, and it really hasn't. It really hasn't needed to be, and it doesn't need to be an issue at all. But it has been because it's like, why? What is the point? You know, you get to that point where you start doing things that, that make no sense. And and considering the season that the Bulls have been having, it just adds to, like, the legend of how how inept or how bad this team has been or how or how, how silly some of the issues that have been going on with the team have been this season. And that's just another issue that really doesn't need to be an issue. So moving forward, I'd like to just see Jim Boylan, like, just let that go. Let the timeouts run. Take them home with you. I mean, it's not like it matters. You're down eight. The game's relatively out of reach. Just let it, just let it go. Now, I do, I do get it. Sometimes you want to try to provide a show like, hey, just because we're down, we're not giving up. Like, but if I'm down 50 points with 10 seconds, I'm not calling my timeout. So I don't. <laughs> there's no 50 point shot. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> so <laughs> now they they weren't down that much, but at some point you just got to be realistic. You just got to be re- you got to be a realist about the situation, and I think. Sometimes Jim is trying to show that he's he's coaching. He's trying to overcoach, and it's like, why, Jim? The game's over. Let it go. So, <laughs> just another, just another story that really didn't need to be a story out of the Chicago Bulls locker room. All right, I'm gonna take a listener question, but first I'm gonna talk about my 2020 NBA award tracker before I finish out the show. Um, Here's how I'll do this. I'm going to shoot through this real quick because I also got an event I got to get to a little bit later. Here's how I'm going to do the NBA award tracker. I'm going to name who I think is the winner, who I think is going to win, and who I think is going to – who I would give my vote to 
and I'll also name my finalists. So first for MVP, I think the winner is going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo, and that's exactly who will get my vote. I said it many times. Milwaukee is just having an amazing season. So, um, yeah, I just think Milwaukee's having an amazing season. They're 50-8. and eight. They're, they're on pace for 70 wins this season. So I just think Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to win MVP. My finalists, I've been saying Giannis and Luka, but honestly now I'm starting to think it's going to be LeBron and Harden will be the two finalists. Uh, I think LeBron is LeBron James is deserving because the Lakers have the top record in the West. He's also leading the league in assists. And then James Harden, statistically, I mean, he has MVP numbers. Uh, Dallas has since dropped to seventh, and also Luka's been missing a lot of games. So I think that may take him out of – the finalist hunt for right now. So as of, as it stands, my winner and my vote, I think who I think is going to win, Giannis, my my vote will go to Giannis. Rookie of the year. Um I think John Moran is going to win it because Zion Williamson has missed too many games. I do think Zion will be a finalist and my vote would go to John Moran. I just even though Zion has lit the world on fire since coming back from injury, I just think John Morant has been more consistent. Like, John Morant right now, I mean, he's been playing all year. Memphis is still eighth in the in the West. They have a lot of injuries now with Jaron Jr. and uh, Brandon Clark now out. And I think this will determine how how Memphis holds up with those injuries. I think this will determine if he does hang on to rookie of the year, even though personally I don't think it should be a question because he's been active for the season. Not, I mean, Zion is, Zion is an incredible player, but, I mean, he's been out. He's been out all year. He's not even going to break 60 games this season for the Pelicans. So I think John Morant should be rookie of the year. I think he, I think he will win it and my vote would go to John. My other finalist would be uh Zion Williamson and Kendrick Nunn. So those would be the two guys that you know how when they do the finals there's usually three guys. So I think Zion Williamson of New Orleans and Kendrick Nunn of Miami would be the other finalists. Uh some would argue RJ Barrett or Eric Pascal. Um Kendrick Nunn has missed some time this year. So that may hurt him as well. So if it's not Kendrick Nunn I would think it would go with the, I would go with uh, Eric Pascal, but I, I still think Kendrick Nunn is more than deserving as well. I mean, averaging 15 points, three assists, and two rebounds. Pascal averaging 13. R.J. Barrett could get some looks, but he's averaging 13. So I just think Kendrick Nunn, numbers wise, is probably the guy that I would have in that in that hunt. Defensive Player of the Year, I think is going to be Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is going to end up winning Defensive Player of the Year. He would get my vote only because Jonathan Isaac, who would have gotten my vote, has been out. Um, the other two finalists, I think you can go with one of the following three. Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons, and Hassan Whiteside. I would put Drummond in there because Drummond is in the top in bold. I think top 15 in steals and blocks. And then whichever stats you value more, steals or blocks, I think Ben Simmons and Hassan Whiteside have a shot at being the other two. Uh, ben Simmons is now hurt. So I think now Hassan Whiteside will be the other finalist because of Ben Simmons being injured. I think those injuries will will sort of take him down and take him out of the defensive player of the year discussion because he hasn't been out there. And then, of course, Hassan Whiteside leads the league in blocks with like three a game. So Anthony Davis, I think, is going to end up being the winner, and he would get my vote. Even though I think Andre Drummond might be a little bit more deserving. So when I, when I do this again next month, Andre Drummond actually might get my vote. But for now, I think Anthony Davis would get the vote just because of how well the Lakers have been playing. And then Hassan Whiteside will be the third finalist. So it'll be Anthony Davis over Drummond and Whiteside. 
Sixth man of the year. We only got three more of these before I get to the listener question. I'm going to try to get out of here. Uh, the sixth man of the year will be, I think it's going to be Lou Williams. I just feel like at this point, it's the Lou Williams Award. Uh, <laughs> the light, it's really a lifetime achievement award for Lou Williams. I mean, this dude could probably win it every year. I think he's going to end up getting it just because of that. Just because of that of that allure of the fact that he is. Like the he pretty much could have the award named after him. But if you gave me a choice, my vote would actually go to Dennis Schroeder. And the reason why I would go to Dennis Schroeder is because my two finalists would be Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. And it gets to a point where I'm starting to wonder, is it possible for those two to possibly to cancel each other out? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I was in that I'm in that mindset. Like, can these two cancel each other out for this most improved for, for this uh, six man of the year award? And I started to think that it, that that could happen. So Dennis Schroeder would get my vote. And like I said, my two finalists would be Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. I think Lou Williams is going to end up taking it, though, because it just feels like you got to give the Clippers. If you give the you give Anthony Davis a war, you got to give the Clippers one. And honestly, whoever wins, I wouldn't be upset with it. I mean, all three of them are very deserving. But if but personally, I would go with Dennis Schroeder just because I feel like Lou and Montrez Harrell might cancel each other out. And I was I've always been of the mindset all season that Lou Williams might might catch voters fatigue for six men. But it's starting to look like they may give it to him again. But if he didn't win it, my vote would go to Schroeder, but I wouldn't be surprised if Harrell won it. Harrell is also deserving. All three are very deserving of being six men of the year. So I think Lou Williams is going to take it again. This will be his fourth one. But my vote goes to Dennis Schroeder. Uh, most improved player of the year. This is probably the award I've been tracking the most all year because I'm just having so much fun watching the development of all of these guys that I'm going to mention. I think Brandon Ingram is going to win it. I think Brandon Ingram is going to take it. But that's not who I would vote for. I would vote for Devontae Graham. I mean, I think most improved player is the, the one stat award that I think that's the one award where you can look at numbers and that really tells you something about the player. Uh, Brandon Ingram is averaging 24 points a game. He did go to the All-Star game. And the national narrative, I mean, even you start to hear this now on almost every broadcast when the Pelicans play. Brandon Ingram, probably the fa favorite to win most improved. I was watching um, Raptors-Bucks last night. P.J. Carlissimo was talking about Pascal Siakam. Pascal Siakam may end up, <laughs> he may end up repeating as most improved. I don't see that happening, but Brandon Ingram it's really starting like he's going to end up winning most improved player. Personally, my vote would go to Devontae Graham. Now, I know Charlotte is struggling this year, and they've fallen, they've fallen as of late. Right now, they're 11th in the East. They're 19 and 38. But Devontae Graham's numbers have just been amazing all year long. Uh, and Charlotte was a team that I thought would be down there at the bottom. I thought they'd be down there with Cleveland and Atlanta in the Eastern Conference. They, right now, they're 11th. They're still in the playoff hunt, six games back of Orlando. So I will go with Devontae Graham. It's really tough to pick finalists, though. When I think Brandon Ingram's going to win, my vote would go to Graham. So those would be the two. So who's the third guy? And really, it's going to be tough for me to pick here because I'm all in on Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think he should get a look. But I also it's also hard to go against Bam Adebayo. And Bam Adebayo, a, a first-time All-Star this year, has had an amazing season. His numbers have gone up. Shea, I think Shea's numbers dropped in terms of assists this season, though. But I still think Bam 
it's really tough. It's tough to pick against either of those two guys, as considering Brandon Ingram is getting the love that he's getting this year. Because if it was up to me, though, it would be between Graham Bam and Shea Gilchrist Alexander, and I would go with Graham winning. But since I think Ingram is going to end up with it, and I think and Graham will get my vote, I think it'll go down to uh, Ingram, Graham, and Bam Adebayo for most improved player. Because when you listen to the Oklahoma City narrative, when you hear how how national media talks about the Thunder. Chris Paul, even though personally, I think Shea Gilgis Alexander has been the best player on that team this season as of late. I think the national narrative would be all Chris Paul helping all of these guys, which is true. He has helped them from from their own admission, from Shea Gilgis Alexander's own admission during All-Star Media Day. It's been fun having Chris Paul in that locker room. But I just feel like the national media is looking at it more as Chris Paul leading the Thunder than they do Shea Gilgis Alexander and Dennis Schroeder. Even though I think Schroeder will get my vote for most improved, I just think Bam Adebayo is going to get the love over Shaquille Alexander for that last finalist spot, as Ingram is likely going to take uh, most improved. And Coach of the Year, uh, I think the winner, I think the winner is either going to be Eric Spoelstra or Mike Budenholzer. Uh, depending, honestly, this really depends on Milwaukee. Do they win seventy or not? Because I think Eric Spoelstra should win. And right now, if I had to pick who I think will win, I think it will be Spolster because Miami was not expected to be up this high. I also think Nick Nurse could win it because Toronto wasn't expected to be as good as they are this season as well. But my my pick, my my vote would go to Eric Spolster, and my two finalists would be Nate McMillan of Indiana and Mike Budenholzer of Milwaukee. Now, Nick Nurse, I think, could fight his way back into this. I think he could end up dethroning McMillan because Indiana has fallen down to sixth. Indiana at one point was one of the top three teams in the East. They've now fallen to sixth in the Eastern Conference by seven games over the seventh place Brooklyn Nets. But I still think at the end of the day, we're talking about Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra, I think he, I think he should be coach of the year considering all of the G League alums he has on this team. And here they are, top four in the East, battling it out with Philadelphia, Boston, and Toronto. And I just think he I think he's deserving of it. But I think national media could end up going with Mike Budenholzer, depending on how Milwaukee finishes. I also think Nick Nurse could get it. So it's either going to be Budenholzer or Nurse is who I think is going to win it. Spolstra has a shot, too. I think my vote, my vote is going to be Spolstra with the finalists. My personal, fi- personal finalists would be Nate McMillan and Mike Budenholzer. I think national finalists will be um, Budenholzer, Nurse, and Spolstra, and really with the with the winner probably being Nick Nurse from a national standpoint. So that's the NBA award tracker. So in review, the guys that would get my vote, who I think is going to win, Giannis I think is going to win, and he would get my vote. I think John Morant would win, and he would get my vote. I think Anthony Davis is going to win, and right now he has my vote. I think Lou Williams would win sixth man. And my vote would go to Dennis Schroeder. John Morant winning Rookie of the Year, and he would get my vote. Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year would get my vote as well. Most Improved Player, I think it's going to go to Brandon Ingram, but Devontae Graham would get my vote if I had one. And I think Mike Budenholzer is going to win Coach of the Year with Eric Spolster getting my vote from the Miami Heat. And we're going to wrap things up here in just a moment. We're going to wrap it up with... Our one listener question for this week, and it comes from 
My good buddy Luke Stanzik of Primetime Sports, which you can catch from Mondays on Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Chicago time on SportstownChicago.com. And here's what he asked me for this week. Of the names we've heard, who is a candidate you really like for the, quote, new voice we are hearing about for the Bulls front office next year? Well, to answer Luke's question, I've only heard one name, and that's been that's been Chad Buchanan of the Indiana Pacers. Now, I have done some research to find some other names. I saw um, the Milwaukee Bucks assistant GM Milton Newton was talked about. Now, that didn't come out as a Bulls. That didn't come out as an official report. That was just like a, a hey, here are some guys the Bulls could look at type list. I saw them fan-sided. But uh, and then I, as I've mentioned, I mentioned Bobby Marks uh, last week. But of the guys we've heard, I mean, officially heard from, like, official reports, Chad Buchanan's been the only one. Chad Buchanan is the GM of the Indiana Pacers, hired in uh, 2017 and has really made some made waves in Indiana, right now sixth in the East, doing better than I thought. I didn't think Indi- – I thought Indiana would be in that six to eight mosh pit, but they they got a seven-game lead for that sixth seed in the East. Uh, Buchanan was hired in June 2017. He formally – Worked for the Portland Trailblazers when he was there. He drafted Brandon Roy, and he traded for LaMarcus Aldridge from the Bulls. So, <laughs> so as a fan, <laughs> as a fan, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his already. As a fan, I mean, he he got us to give up LaMarcus Aldridge, <laughs> and then and then in Indiana, he traded for Oladipo and and Sabonis, and he and then of course the signing of Malcolm Brogdon. So, Chad Buchanan has really built. He's really built in a winner in Indiana. He's shown that he can build a team. He's showing that he's a good talent scout, considering he traded for LaMarcus Aldridge. He drafted Brandon Roy. He signed Malcolm Brogdon, who I thought was unproven when Indiana picked him up. He traded for Oladipo, who was who was bouncing around from Orlando and Oklahoma City. Also got Sabonis. So and he's got so he's got two All Stars under his belt in Indiana. And I, I think that that's a good sign. But at the end of the day, I would like to see Chad Buchanan come in and become the – I'd like to see him come in and become the new voice of the Bulls' front office because I think he's got a good track record. Same with any, same with anybody, really. Bobby Marks, you, the Bulls need a new voice in the front office. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to this. None of it matters if you still have to work with John Paxson. You still have to work with John Paxson. If the Bulls are going to make any changes in the front office – I don't think you, they're really going to bear any fruits unless they clean house. At the end of the day, as long as you keep John Paxson and re and reassign Gar Foreman or you keep Gar Foreman and reassign John Paxson, the vision is still going to be the same. Reports are that the Bulls still value John Paxson's uh, his image of for the team, his vision for the team moving forward. But it, it, for you to get a new voice in there, what good does that do you if they still have to make moves through John Paxson? You're going to have the same results. I think what has benefited Chad Buchanan is he has been able to make his own moves. He's been able to take risks, take risks with that team in Indiana. You got If you're going to let a guy be the general manager, you got to let him manage. You got to let him manage the team. You got to let him make his moves. You got to let him you got to let him try things out, make his own mistakes. 
Because at the end of the day, once again, if everything has to go through John Paxson, I don't think anything's really going to change. It's going to be the same vision that you've had with Gar Foreman in that general manager seat. And one of the worst kept secrets is that Gar, is that Gar Foreman is the general manager really in name value only. That's been one of the worst kept secrets in terms of one of the worst kept secrets of that Bulls organization that John Paxson is really making the moves. Why do you think it's Garpax? Why do you think it's called Garpax? <laughs> when they talk about the Bulls general managers, they say Garpax. They don't say Gar Foreman <laughs> because we know Gar Foreman has to make his moves through John Paxson. That's one of the worst kept secrets. When you talk about other teams, oh, this guy, the general manager. When you talk about we talk about the Bears. We talk about Ryan Pace. We don't talk. We don't talk about the people over Ryan Pace with the Bears. We don't talk about the people over Chad Buchanan in Indiana. You know, we talk about Gar Pax because we know that Gar Foreman is the general manager in name only. It's one of the worst kept secrets. He's the general manager in in, in title only. But at the end of the day, it's him and John Paxson. It's John Paxson making the moves. If the Bulls really want to change. You could bring in anybody. They could hire me. It won't matter as long as John Paxson is there because I still have to run my moves through John Paxson. So if the Bulls really want to make a move, they've got a clean house. You can't half, you can't half clean the house. You know, you can't clean the kitchen and then leave the bathroom nasty or vice versa. Then you didn't clean the house. <laughs> you know, you can't leave the, you know, you can't clean the bathroom and leave the kitchen nasty. However you want to say it. You gotta you gotta clean everything. You gotta make you gotta get if you want a brand new slate, you gotta clean everything. You gotta clear it out. And I'm not one for advocating losing jobs for people losing jobs, but you're not really making any changes if you say, all right, well, we're gonna bring in a new general manager, but you still gotta work with our old VP. Nothing's gonna change. <laughs> like nothing is gonna nothing is gonna change. It's gonna be the same vision that it's been for the past few years. And it's getting to the point with the Bulls with this talk of, well, we got to keep Paxson. I think that that's going to make it tough for the Bulls to even bring in a new general manager because who wants to walk into that situation? I'm sure I'm sure these general managers hear the stories where Tom Thibodeau would get into it with John Paxson. Gar Foreman's the general manager in title, but he has to run everything past Paxson. Chad Buchanan, you want to bring him in and let him make moves. How can he make any moves if everything has to fit with Paxson's vision? It's going to make it tough for the Bulls to bring in a general manager unless they say, you know what, John, thank you for your service, but we got to go in a new direction. Got to be a full house cleaning if there's going to be any changes here in Chicago. And like I said, to answer Luke's question of the candidates we heard, I'm, I'm all for bringing in Chad Buchanan because of his, his eye for talent, because of what he's done with Indiana, with Oladipo and Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon and bringing Malcolm Brogdon in, he was able to uh, trade for Marcus Aldridge. I'm all for bringing him in. I'd be cool with him being the new voice of the Bulls. But what good does that do if he still has to run all of his moves through John Paxson? It's the same vision. If you're going to bring him in, you got to give him the reins. You got to let him do what he does as a general manager. So we'll see how that we'll see how that develops moving forward. So, but Chad Buchanan, Luke. So in Luke's in, so to answer Luke's question, who is a kind of who's a candidate you really like for the new voice, Chad Buchanan, because he's the only one I've heard. 
And I think there's a reason why he's the only one <laughs> because I think a lot of these general managers realize, hey, likely not going to be able to run my vision in Chicago if they're not going to full clean house or allow me to make the moves that I want to make when I go there. So once again, Bulls got to make a full house cleaning if they're really going to have a, quote, new voice running the organization. That'll do it for this one. I mean, I got to get ready to go cover some lacrosse today. Women's lacrosse at the University of Chicago. Uh, that'll do it for episode 21, my favorite number. That was my jersey number when I used to play basketball in junior high and high, football in high school. That's why King Rouse 21 on Twitter. See more, see more uh, useless information, man. I love giving you guys that useless information that you guys don't care about. But uh, you can catch the Windy City Hoops podcast on Facebook, facebook.com. Four slash Windy City Hoops Podcast or Facebook and just at Windy City Hoops Podcast in your search bar. Um, likely not going to be back until Monday when the Bulls take on the um, Dallas Mavericks, have a post-game report for that game. And then next week, next Wednesday, episode 22, either will be late in the day after the Bulls play the, Thun- the uh, Timberwolves or it will be Thursday. Because Tuesday I also have a separate event. So be on the lookout on the Windy City Hoops Podcast Facebook page to be to be aware of when uh, episode 22 will drop next week. But I also likely will cover that when I do the post-game report for Bulls and Mavericks. Speaking of the Bulls, won't be covering their game Friday against the Knicks because I ha- I'm booked for other events. And then also be celebrating my cousin and father's birthday party that day. So I won't be... Won't be around to record. As usual, I'll watch the game, so I'll, I'll know what happened, but just won't won't have the post-game report right after. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at KingRouse21, K-I-N-G-R-O-U-S-E-21. And the Windy City Hoops podcast is available on multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. And that'll do it for Episode 22 of the Windy City Hoops podcast for... February the 26th, 2020, this Wednesday. Once again, I'm your host, Chris Rouse, and until next time, you guys be cool out there.